0: Hello everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what is up, Sky?
1: <laughs> Andrew, you ask me this every week and I always pause and hesitate on what to answer. Oh, um, I was dog sitting over the weekend and the dog was up all night. Oh no. Whimpering. So that's oh, how much no. sleep I got.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully the dog settles down or you're done babysitting him. And then but back to the owner. <laughs> back to the owner. I've dog-sitted before, had almost a traumatic experience, but it's fine. Today, I gave a talk, Bridgetown Cough, virtually, and that went better than I expected, considering I woke up at 4 a.m. and rewrote most of my slides over, but glad that went well. And I am glad to be here with our guest, Richard Schneeman. Richard, welcome to the show, author of How to Open Source and Code Triage fame. So tell them who you are.
2: Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. And especially after an updog, sounds like you had a pretty wild night and a conversation. Yeah, so I've been writing Ruby since 2006, so a little bit. And one of the things that I was really really interested in kind of early on was contributing to Rails. I was like, "Oh, I want to get a commit into Rails." Long story short, I wrote this service, code triage. It helps people get commits into open source repos. And so yeah, you know, just kind of want to talk about that. Wanna talk a little bit about this book that I wrote, how to open source. And oh, I recently got commit into Ruby. In Ruby 3.2, I'm gonna have syntax suggest is a library that suggests if you have any kind of sort of syntax errors or anything in your Ruby code. It'll highlight this is probably where the error is. So, you know, people can check that out very cool that doesn't use syntax tree under the hood does it it doesn't but i have been talking with kevin interestingly enough it relies on a parser but the only information it needs is boolean yes or no like does this code parse or not
0: that's really cool definitely following along with Matt's focus on improving ruby dx so thank you for doing that from behalf of all of us who will be benefiting from it
2: yeah well i hope it works
0: (laughs) (laughs) don't we all cool julie did you have like this obsession with open source and like contributing to Rails when you were first starting out or was this like a contributing something you're getting into?
1: I was not at all wanting to contribute to Rails. I think it's very daunting to be doing something like that. Eileen's story where she helped with something very small and that kind of got her in. I don't know, for some reason, I still feel like I'm incapable of doing something like that. Did, however pair with Thomas counts on a PR that ended up getting merged into rails, which was really helpful because if I didn't have another person kind of holding my hand and walking me through, then I don't know, it sort of just put off the whole
2: task. So my original goal was like one commit. I wasn't like, I want to get commit. I want to get access, which I eventually did. I was into rails for a while. I maintained sprockets. I did some other stuff, but I had this problem where I was getting this error in an error message and it was like, this route doesn't exist. And then I would check my routes file, but then it would, I was like, I see it right there. It would be like user slash ID or something doesn't exist. And I'm like, yes, it does. And the problem was that it was for a different HTTP action. So it would be like a post and it wasn't including that information. I'm like, oh, could we just put that in the error? I think that would be really helpful. I figured out how to modify the code to add that in there. And then I couldn't figure out how to test it. And I was like, no, everybody's going to like hate me and laugh at me and I'm never going to show my face in the Ruby community again. And then I went to a conference and Aaron Patterson was one of the keynotes. I actually sat down with him at breakfast and didn't even know he was wearing like, it was something ridiculous. And I just sat down with him and like he mentioned he's keynoting in like 30 minutes <laughs> at all. And then later on was just like, Hey, is anybody interested in working on Rails? And I was like, yeah, I have this thing, but I can't figure out how to test it. Maybe you can help me. He was like, yeah, I can't figure out how to test it either. And I was like, What? You know everything is testable and this is like a requirement. And it was like, yeah, just pick the PR and see what happens. And I made it and then and it got merged in. And so for the longest time, like a year, I used to go around joking. It's like I have a commit in Rails. This is like my top line thing on the resume, top line thing on LinkedIn or whatever. But starting small and having somebody there as well can make a huge difference.
1: That's so cool that you didn't recognize him. So maybe that helped you be more yourself. So I have met him and I kind of froze. I was like, I don't know what to say, but hello. I
2: I don't know if you've heard of the anecdote of he was at some conference that his parents were going to show up to. And the conference organizer labeled the seats where they're going to be instead of like their names. I think he wrote like tender parents or something like that because <laughs> it's like tender love. And it's like, his parents have absolutely zero concept of his online persona. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, sometimes it's like knowing too much. It's like taking that step too far. But funny. So that was actually my first ever contribution to Rails. And then I kind of just stopped. I had no idea where to go after that. And then I mentioned wanting to talk about Code Triage. I can, the origin story, it was in 2012, Steve Klabnik just sat down over one weekend and like triaged 700 open Ruby on Rails issues. And for people who like triage, when you go to an emergency room or something, like you see somebody who diagnoses your condition and is like, oh, you need to see this type of a doctor or like this is your problem, like ranks the severity, not necessarily somebody who fixes the issue, but just somebody who takes a look at it even. And so he just went through and read 700 issues and responded to as best he possibly could. And I was like, huh, nobody gave him permission to do that. I was like, that's useful. Just reading them, just commenting on them is useful. And that kind of like blew my mind a little bit. And then I was like, Oh, Hey, instead of that guy who has one commit in rails, I can be that guy who has two. (laughs) And I just need to figure out how, but 700 issues in one weekend is like not sustainable for me. And so I wrote a script that just sends me a random issue into my email inbox, just every day. And then I would click on that and I would read it. And just kind of over time, eventually I noticed sort of patterns of people would say, Oh, Hey, can you make this change? Oh, Hey, can you make this change? And then one day I came across a PR where somebody had like added two new lines instead of one. And I was like, I've seen this pattern. I know what to do. I played this video game before. This is the boss. I'm just going to hit these buttons and ask for this change. And then I left that comment and they did it. And the maintainer, when they finally got around to reviewing it they didn't have to make that comment and it was able to save them some time and just over a long enough period of time of doing that they were like hey we like that you're doing this would you also like to close issues would you like to merge issues we will give you commit access onto rails and also in that same time frame i turned that script into the service currently known as code triage in my head i was like oh my gosh this is so great it worked for me it's going to work for everyone if there's 700 open issues on Ruby on Rails, all we need is 700 people and there will be zero issues. In my head, that was like the goal. And in my head, it was going to just work out of the box for everyone perfectly. And they always say, you are not your user. And I had to learn that the hard way. And One day I noticed it's like, hey, code triage is actually like, there's some good following, like there's some good numbers. And like I checked Ruben Rails and it was over the number of issues that we had. And I was like, what is going on? Why is this not miraculously like doing this in my head, which I know is essentially an impossible task of like getting Rails down to like zero issues is like made sense in my head as an attainable goal, but not really. And so that naturally kind of led to having to research what are the hangups people are hitting? What is even leading people to the software and why are they getting blocked? You had even mentioned, it's like, hey, feeling overwhelmed, having someone to help you pair with and having just that little bit of an in can make a huge world of difference. So all of that research kind of led to me realizing, hey, maybe I need some sort of like a manual or something like that, which led to, hey, maybe I can write this down. And that kind of snowballed and eventually turned into the how to open source book.
0: Very cool. I discovered code triage very early on because kind of like you, I was like, I want to get a commitment to Rails. And I discovered all this open source stuff and I was like, open source is so freaking cool. I love open source. And so I built my career on being like very open source. Worked for a company that was trying to monetize more open source. Done all the stuff. And I love the idea of, hey, let's find these issues with contributing. Because like when I go to Rails, I'm like, holy crap, there's so many issues. And I'll try to look through and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But then very early on, I was like, well, I can't really contribute to some of these libraries, but I could triage issues. And I don't know where I got the idea from. But like on, I think, Foreman, and there's like a VS Code extension for Ruby and a few other gems. I would just go through and be like, hey, is this still an issue? Like I tried to recreate it, couldn't recreate it. Just going through each and every single one, trying to answer questions, trying to help. And it does definitely make a difference, even if it's not code. So I just wanted to highlight that, that you can definitely contribute without code. Totally. I like hearing
1: about the baby steps. It doesn't have to be pick up a issue and solve that. It could also be just getting familiar, which you've mentioned in your book, getting to know some of the issues that come up and kind of reading the issues and kind of getting more of a understanding of it. I guess I felt in order for me to contribute to open source, I had to pick up an issue, fix it or do something with it and then push it. But it really takes time to understand the code base as well, which I am very impatient and don't take the time to do that. And so I think it helps for me to have a pair to kind of guide me around. But once you do have that understanding, it's a lot easier to start then looking at issues and seeing like, oh, maybe these are some that I could take a look at and possibly pick up.
2: in Rails. If there's an issue with active record, everybody's just like, okay, we're gonna just put this at a little bit of a distance. The code base is a little bit harder to work with than some of the other parts, or even it's like active support if somebody wants to add like a new feature or something like that. So active support just like adds all of the neat monkey patches where you can, well, neat depending on your definition. But all of the times people will have these ideas of like, oh, I want to add this method to hash or string or something. And I'm going to make a PR. And then only to kind of be disappointed when it inevitably gets closed because it's very invasive and you have to have a really strong case for it. And so having a little bit of a background on, like you're saying, if you just grabbed an issue and you expected to be able to dive in and fix it, if it just happens to be an active record like database issue, you're just kind of starting at a deficit that's playing on hard mode versus it's like hanging out a little bit, reading a little bit, understanding kind of what's going on. When I launched the book, I launched it right before Oktoberfest. And anybody who buys in that one week, we're going to join a Slack group and we're going to like hang out. And one of the developers that joined us was actually one of the hosts of Hex Devs, and suggested even like the thinnest possible slice was like, oh, you should read... The issue like you should read these things and he actually suggested carding in github you can do like the emoji you can like heart like thumbs up and it's like look for something to heart and i was like oh that's actually really neat it's like a little bit more actionable than reading and also like just from a mindset perspective it's like as you're reading just telling people oh your goal is to make a comment doesn't really necessarily land it's like your goal is to make a comment that maybe moves the issue forward like you were saying it's like hey is this still an issue I can't reproduce this or, Hey, I didn't get steps to reproduce. Like those are really helpful things to comment. But when you say just make a comment, some people think first, (laughs) right? Just anything just commenting like I'm the first commenter or hi, everybody. And it's like, that's not really helpful. But if you have the frame of mind of going into it's like, what could I comment that somebody else would later come by and heart? Maybe it's the maintainer. Maybe it's the person who wrote the issue. It's like, wow, you looked at my issue. That's amazing. Anyway, I thought that was a neat way of slicing it sort of even thinner. And that's a hard task. A lot of people out there are trying to sell, contributing to open source as a, oh, this is an easy way to build up your resume. And it's true that if you contribute to open source, you can for sure put it on your resume, but not easy at all. Success is not guaranteed. And a lot of people out there are it's like, hey, if you want to contribute to open source, like I'll teach you Git and I'll teach you GitHub. And then after that, it's just like up, oh, you're on your own. It's like <laughs> you might hear it's like Andrew's saying, it's like, oh, go triage issues and like, but how, but what, but why? And now what? And just like people in dealing and working with code triage, I kept on adding features to suggest things to people. And then yeah, it's just like everybody gets blocked by something different. I kind of almost wanted to have a menu of, well, here's some kind of common scenarios that people run into. And it's like, A, just knowing that it's not you. This is difficult. And other people have hit these same problems. And here's some maybe ways that you can work around them. Or it's like, oh, I'm, I'm stuck waiting on this maintainer. And it's like, well, hey, here's five things you can do that don't require waiting on the maintainer. So wrote it up, put it out into the world. I've gotten good feedback so far.
1: I really appreciate when someone says that something is hard because that's part of my reasoning for not doing any open source. Is like, it's just hard. And other people might make it seem like it's something easy to do because they do it often and they maybe had forgotten what it's like to kind of start out. And so I didn't actually start doing any open source until I knew that a friend of mine was going to also be there and that this open source had office hours. So I could go in and I can ask these questions. And during that, the first time that I went, I had someone pair with me on actually getting the code down into my local and get it working. Because for someone who's never worked, haven't had my first job, I didn't know how hard that would be. Most of the projects that we learned, we started from scratch. It's like, that's the first thing. Whereas Pulling down another project from somebody else's machine into yours, that was very interesting. And not all open source can do this also, and I understand that. But at least for your first ones, finding an open source that has office hours or someone that you know is also contributing there that can help you out made a difference for me. How
2: did you find that one?
0: Is it really for good? Because if it's not, I want to shout them out for doing just that.
1: It is Ruby for good. And the only reason why I knew about it is I met a friend through, I think it was the Codecademy Discord. Because at the same time, I was also applying to Codecademy and been a user of Codecademy. And so I met this person who is an admin for the Discord server. And I was like, oh, do you contribute to open source? Where do you contribute? And they mentioned Ruby for good. And I think at the same time, someone also told me, hey, Ruby for good is great. But I didn't know anything about Ruby for good. So I didn't really go more into it. But since he mentioned that he was doing that, I joined in with him.
2: They were at RailsConf this year in Portland that they actually had like a little session where they just brought issues It was like draw an issue out of a hat. And it was like, go to this issue number and do it. And like, we will help you. Yeah. That's what you said. It's like, we will help you clone the code. It's like, if you have an issue with the PR and I thought I like, I just thought that was really cool. It's like also what you mentioned, unfortunately not all of the open source projects can have quite so much bandwidth, but it's like, I like that there are some out there that do.
1: And I think something also to note for folks who are starting out open source, the README will show you how to get it on your local. And if something doesn't make sense, Then it might not make sense to another person because sometimes something might change and someone's not updating them. So that could also be something to bring up as a hey, should we add this or whatever to kind of be a contributor?
0: That's a good issue to add because while you were thinking that, I was like, I feel like the other day I removed those instructions from the README because I was like, I don't need these. And I don't know if I've just moved them to the contributing file or if I removed them from the README entirely. So that's like a great point to bring up of like, hey, Those instructions that the default readme's give you for how to check it out, don't just assume that every single person knows
2: that. One of the things I strongly recommend is having people just take notes of your own experience. If you are hitting any sort of a problem, hey, this is what I was trying to do. This is what I expected. I expected to go to this readme and figure out how to contribute. And it's like, and then I clicked on contributing and then I couldn't figure it out. One of the biggest gaps especially it's like coming to the table as somebody who has contributed a lot and somebody who has been doing Ruby for so long. If there's a problem, I just step over it. Like, oh, it's like a little pothole in the road. It's like, I will literally just sidestep it because I see it. And I'm like, oh, this is a huge issue. I know not to go down there. I know that if I do it this way, it's going to cause errors. So therefore I'm not going to do it that way. But when people are not as familiar when they're coming with like fresh eyes then they just fall in the pothole and stub their toes if i'm not getting that feedback that says hey this is actually hard or i didn't understand this or the documentation like wasn't really clear basically what i'm saying there is like that perspective is hugely valuable even though i'm speaking in i statements i like speaking in i statements it's broadly true among most maintainers is like they have forgotten what it's like to be new and by and large Getting any sort of feedback for the writing that you have done for any sort of your documentation, whether it's like method docs or it's in the README, just having somebody raise a flag and say, This is what I was trying to do and this is what I struggled with can either result in the maintainer updating that for you, even if you open it up as an issue. Maybe if somebody's following the repo on Code Triage, they're like, Oh, this is it. This is my time to shine. I know what to do. This is not an active record bug. I know where in the documentation to update this or even more advanced is like eventually later on even if you just write it down as like hey here's an opportunity to make this better grab if you have a friend who is a little bit more comfortable or later on maybe you are i just actually keep notes all of the time and that's how i get most of my contributions just writing down where things failed for me that i wasn't expecting or could be better or were unclear
0: are there any prerequisites to picking up your book? Like, are you going to teach me how to install Git or do I need to come with that?
2: First of all, I recommend that developers. The book is developer-centric. There is one other open source book that I know that is out there and it's kind of geared as that anybody can do it. And it is true that non-developers can contribute, but I think it's a little bit more specific. It allowed me to be more specific in writing the book as speaking to developers. If non-developers want to pick it up, you'll get something out of it. You'll have to also do homework. I don't cover installing Git. I do cover how to make a pull request, just the broad steps, broad actions. But beyond that, I don't teach language-specific skills. I expect that people know enough about a language to be able to distinguish between expected results and actual results. When I was learning Ruby, it's just like whatever code worked. And now when I'm using Ruby and I'm looking at the documentation... And it's like, wait, I'm using it like the documentation says, but it's not working. Now I'm saying, oh, hey, this is a bug. I know that there's some problem here. If you're still kind of in the just dipping your toes into learning a language, if that's also really new, then I would maybe say focus on building up some of the core skills, building up some of those like language toolbox things. (laughs) Very specific. In general, at a high level, I would say, like, if you feel ready to start looking for a job, I would say, actually, if you have a job, by all means, more than qualified, like you have the skills, like you're practicing using version control, like you're in the thick of things. And it's kind of funny because just different perspectives. Before I launched this, another guy who has created a company in Ruby, who has like launched all these things, has been like probably coding Ruby as long as I have, actually asked, it's like, am I ready? Do I have enough experience? Yeah, that's also like another problem where just people don't realize, A, that they have something to offer. And in my opinion, whether you're just getting started or you've been doing it for a decade, then yes, you have something to offer. It's the intersection between your own experiences and the code that is the really important part. So like if you already have a job more than qualified, if you're like done with tutorial hell, like got enough tutorials under your belt, you're like, okay, I kind of know this stuff. I can kind of figure it out then that might be the time to start looking. I would just strongly recommend against anybody trying to focus on open source contributions before that point. I feel like it's just a little bit of a distraction, to be honest. And haven't said it yet on this podcast, but I'm also really wanting to be respectful of the maintainer's times. Yes, a maintainer can help you to get your contribution over the line but of the hundreds and thousands of people who have published open source repos, they didn't do it to be your personal language learning tutor and mentor. You might be able to get lucky and find somebody who might be a little bit more involved, but being able to show up to the table. And I guess the core of my book is wanting to find small actions that you can do that are meaningful, that will actually help maintainers. And if you kind of show up too early, you just won't have as big of a toolbox to be able to find those things that are actually helpful. And if you start asking around and saying, oh, I can't figure this out. If you just show up onto an issue and I was like, hey, I want to fix this, but I like can't install Git on my machine. If you open that on one of my repos, I appreciate it and I appreciate the sentiment. You're probably not going to get the full tutorial experience from me right in that moment. Even me triaging my own issues, I just don't have the time to fully do it. And like, I need help. So that's maybe one perspective that other people who are just getting started might not be fully aware of.
0: The Hacktoberfest thing, when I was new, I was like, free t-shirt for open source. Awesome. And then a year later, I had a popular open source package and I saw Hacktoberfest very differently. So I just wanted to highlight, yeah, please, if you're going to contribute, let's make some effort.
1: I think that's a really great point because if you are too early, then you could also have this negative experience with open source and possibly not want to keep doing it. So you do want to have enough knowledge before you can get started. And also like being mindful of the maintainers as well. Like, I think that's a really good point. We -hmm. can't expect them to hold our hands throughout the whole process. Also,
2: keep in mind, I'm talking about today. This is the landscape of today, like my where I wish we were. If 100,000 developers picked up my book and like 100,000 developers started reading all of the issues and started trying to help make meaningful comments. If somebody came to my repo and asked that question of like, I'm trying to install Git. If somebody else is like, you know what, I got a little bit of time. You know what, I can actually help you out. That is kind of like the world I want to live in where it's like this sort of like mutual aid and benefit of a, it's like, I don't have to be spending this time, but like, you know what? I've got it. I could. I totally agree on it being discouraging. Some people, it just, they start off with a really hard task and it doesn't work. and So they're just like, bye, I guess this isn't for me. Yeah. I almost suffered from the opposite where it's just like, I wanted to do a thing I knew was going to work i wanted to be guaranteed that my next action was going to be successful and was like so timid about doing that i needed help like you know slicing it thinner but you also brought up like hacktoberfest and that's been an interesting one for me this year they changed the rules they changed the rules so that you have to have four previously it used to just be like a single commit in open source. And then yeah, I got spammed. People are just like changing the grammar. They're like, I'm gonna reword that this is better worded. And they just like literally would change the order of the words in the sentence. And it's like no longer grammatically correct. And they're like, merge please, strip please. <laughs> and it's not helpful. And it kind of got a bad rep. And this year they changed it. So you have to have four commits and the repo has to opt into support. So if the repo does not have the Hacktoberfest tag, then you do not get credit for it. Like you might get the merge, you might get the commit, but you don't get credit for it. Or they can also tag in individual PRs with Hacktoberfest accepted. And I actually had a pretty good experience this year. I tagged a couple of issues with like Hacktoberfest and people showed up and gave me a lot of code. I was like kind of pleasantly surprised and as a maintainer like that can be hard sometimes getting people to like it can be feel very lonely you can open up these aspirational issues where it's like hey here's an opportunity to do something in my library and then it just crickets it's just how do you get those people how do you raise awareness we're talking about hey maybe office hours those people the ruby for good people are struggling with this like we want more contributors you know how do we build this funnel and so this year was kind of the first year that i felt like I mean, like tagging with Hacktoberfest isn't a guarantee, right? But it was kind of the first year where I saw kind of some more meaningful contributions and also gave me that opportunity to work with some people who might not have otherwise like seen the repo. And a lot of people who got the book joined and joined on with Hacktoberfest and quite a few of them got the four commits and got their shirt. You can either get a shirt or a tree. It's not your tree. It is a tree. It's not in your yard. And then like some people who had never contributed ever before prior to that, they're like, wow, it's like you get the merge and you get the email. And then they went into our like our Slack group and just all the emojis are going like, you know, it's a really good feeling. It can be addicting like in a positive way, hopefully.
0: As we kind of wind this all up, I know 24 pull requests, it's a... December event for open source is coming up. And it sounds like your book is perfect for anyone who wants to participate. You want to say anything else about that and kind of tell people where they can find you online?
2: 24 pull requests is coming up and my book would be perfect for that. The maintaining code triage, I see the biggest number of users from Hacktoberfest. And then secondly, through 24 pull requests right now, we've got about 66,000 people signed up for the service and 24 pull requests. The idea is the 24 days of Christmas, like you do a pull request each day, which is a lot. I would say that's an aspirational goal. Start off with one start off with even smaller than that. Heart a comment, get a heart on a comment. But for people who are goal oriented, it can really help having a small window of time, especially over the holidays where you're stressed, you're sitting on your in-laws couch or whatever. You're like, how do I not argue about politics and Turkey that's undercooked or overcooked or something? It can be a good opportunity. And so, yeah, the book, it's how to open source. You can find it at how to open and you can find me on shneems.com and everywhere I'm shneems. I'm on twitter.com slash shneems. Shneems at ruby.social on Mastodon is, you know, is a new thing. So cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks yeah, thank
0: for you so much me. for joining us. Everyone, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye everyone.